Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam, welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. You're in for a big one. Today, we're sitting down with Simon Sinek. He's the founder of The Optimism Company. He's a best-selling author, speaker, and also a LinkedIn legend. Simon has discovered remarkable patterns relating to how the greatest leaders and organizations think, act, and communicate, and he's best known for popularizing the concept of why, which we're going to be exploring today. He's had some incredible insights when it comes to leadership, personal branding, and why optimism is key. I'm really excited to jump into this one. Please welcome to the podcast, Simon Sinek. The first question that we ask everyone that comes on is, 
How did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? I mean, I don't really have a job, do I? Um, my career is an accident. Um, I owned my own little marketing firm, little marketing consultancy way back when. I was living the entrepreneurial dream. We had amazing clients. We did really good work. Um, and yet four years into that adventure, I fell out of love with it. And frankly, I was deeply embarrassed because superficially everything looked good. And I was embarrassed to say out loud, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and so I kept that to myself. And all of my energy went into pretending that I was happier, more successful, and more in control than I actually felt, which is frankly a pretty dark place. It's also a very lonely place. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a really, I got to say, it was a, it was not a fun time at all. Um, I didn't ask anybody for help. I felt very alone. Um, and it wasn't until a very dear friend of mine came to me and said, I'm worried about you. Something's wrong. Something's different. Something's off. And I came clean. I opened up. Um, and it was like a huge weight off my shoulders that I could be open to somebody about what I was going through. Um, and it released this energy that I didn't have before where all the energy that went into lying, hiding and faking could now be directed into actually finding a solution for the way I felt. And the solution that I found was this thing called the why I knew what I did. I knew how I did it, but I realized I didn't know why I was doing it. And that was the reason for my malaise. I became obsessed with finding my why. And more importantly, I figured out a way to help other people find their why. And just like when you see a great movie, you tell your friends to see it, or you read a great book, you tell your friends to see it. I, you know, was telling all my friends about this concept of why, and I was helping them find their why, and they were making crazy life changes. And then they invited me to come to their homes and share it with their friends. And I literally would stand in someone's living room, giving a talk about this concept of the golden circle and the why, and it would help people find their why for $100 on the side. It was never supposed to be a career, but people just kept inviting me to talk about it and help them. And I just kept saying yes. And it was the most inspiring thing I'd ever done. And I guess the rest is history. Yeah, look, uh, you know, you're very, very prolific online, Simon. I've I've seen so much of your work. I'm such a massive fan. I remember I watched you. your famous TED Talk. I was, I was re-watching it in preparation for this. 60 million views, 60 million views for how leaders inspire action. And I have to ask, like, you talk about the golden circle and your process around finding your why. How long? Because because some people watching this might not have found their why yet. How long did it take you? And can you tell us a little bit about that process and transition? To find my why? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can help somebody find their why in, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour. It's not a very complicated process. Um, it's about pattern recognition. Um, you know, I wrote a book called Find Your Why because people complain that I made this case for the why and start with why, but <laughs> I didn't tell anybody how to do it. Um, so I, I wrote a book called Find Your Why and, you know, we, we, we hold people's hands. We have an online course that does the same thing. But I can tell you a little exercise that anyone can do that will at least get you sort of in the ballpark. Uh, it's called the friends exercise. Uh, basically what you do is find a friend who you love and who loves you. The kind of person who you know would be there and pick up the phone for you at three o'clock in the morning and you would do the same for them. Do not do this with a spouse. Do not do this to, with a sibling or a parent. Make sure it's a friend. And ask them this very simple question. Why are we friends? And they're gonna look at you like you're crazy. Because the part of the brain that controls feelings like love and loyalty and friendship doesn't control language, which is why it's hard for human beings to put their feelings into words. It's a different part of the brain. So 
you have to keep pushing though. You actually stop asking the question why and you convert to the question what, because it allows it to be rational. And you say, come on, what specifically is it about me that I know you would be there for me no matter what? And they'll hem and they'll ha and they'll be like, I don't know. And they'll start describing you. I don't know. You're funny. You're smart. You're loyal. I can count on you. And you have to be the devil's advocate. You have to play the devil's advocate. Good. That's the definition of a friend. You have that with lots of people. What specifically is it about me that I know you'd be there for me no, no matter what? You can't help them. You can't let anybody else help them. And again, they'll hem and they'll ha and they'll keep trying to describe you. And eventually they'll give up. Eventually they'll give up and they'll start describing themselves. I don't know, my friends told me. All I know, Simon, is that I can sit in a room with you. I don't even have to talk to you. And I feel inspired. And I got goosebumps. In fact, I'm getting them right now. Because when I articulate my why, uh, I have an emotional response. They will say something that will give you an emotional response, whether you get goosebumps or you well up with tears, whatever it is. And that is proof that the value you fill in their lives is your thing. It's the thing you give to the world. Um, uh, and if you do this with multiple friends, you'll get very similar, if not sometimes the exact same answer. Um, because if you're true to your why, if you are authentic, which means why, how, and what are in balance, um, then everybody knows what you stand for and who you are. And we want that in our lives. And I'd love to know, like, where did this come from? Like you lived around the world as a child. Like, what did that teach you about humanity? Have you always been this, this inspiring person, this, this passionate person, this, person with this, you know, fire in the belly? I mean, I was always a happy-go-lucky kid. Um, you know, good. one of the things you have when you have a family that moves around a lot is we, we kept changing friends and grandparents were people we only saw once or twice a year. Um, and so, you know, my family unit, my parents and my sister were all very, very close. And my sister and I are particularly close because we were the only constant, you know, sort of friend we had um, as we moved around. Um, and I think that's really important, you know, uh, definitely growing up in an internet with an international upbringing, I think was a huge asset, um, because it taught me to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. It taught me when I don't know or don't understand to try and figure it out. And my sister's the exact same way. Um, but, but most importantly, I, I think was that relationship between me and my sister, which is you realize that it's too difficult to do difficult things alone. You know, we're just not that good. And starting a business is exactly the same. You know, um, if someone is a, is a, if they think they can build a business by themselves, um, they're in for a, they're in for a horrible shock. And it was perhaps the single biggest lesson I learned as an entrepreneur, um, which is I don't have to know all the answers. And if I don't, I don't have to pretend that I do, um, that I can say, I don't know, I don't understand, or I need help. And it turns out I was surrounded by people who wanted to help me. They just didn't think I needed it because I wasn't admitting it. And so anyone who starts a business who thinks that they have to know all the answers just because they're the ones who are the founders or they're the ones who's in charge, they're in, they're in for a horrible surprise. Um, and it's, it's the ability to build those close, meaningful relationships and be able to lean on someone and have someone in your corner who says, I believe in you. You've got this. Don't worry. I'll be with you no matter what. That gives us the courage to do remarkable things. Mm, I agree. And I have to ask this. Has there ever been a time when you questioned your own why? And if so, when? No. Never. The, when you know your why, it is so true. It is so, like, it, when you hear it for the first time spoken to you, you're like, my God, that's me. That's me. Um, you know, we're not always acting or making decisions that are reflective of who we truly are. That's, that's the challenge of life. You know, if you keep making expedient decisions or just chasing money, for example, or power or fame or whatever it is, 
you know, at some point our friends will say to us, our old friends will say to us, it's like, I don't know who you are anymore. Um, so when, when your why is spoken, when you have it written down, it, it, you know, it comes from that, that part of the brain that doesn't control language. So when it is put into words, it's, it's awesomely powerful and it doesn't change. You only have one why your whole life. It's fully formed by your mid to late teens and that's it. That's who you are. Um, uh, and it doesn't, it doesn't change. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. So love to switch gears and talk about your new book, The Infinite Game. What compelled you to write this? Uh, so all of my work is semi-autobiographical. Um, you know, I, I'm like everybody else, I'm bumping and sort of rolling through life and I hit speed bumps. And every now and then <laughs> I find a solution to one of my challenges that turns out has value in other people's lives as well. I told you about the story of where the why came from and uh, it had value in other people's lives and I ended up writing about it. Um, Leaders Eat Last, my second book, as my my career was progressing, I started having these trust issues with people. I didn't know who to trust and who not to trust. And at the same time, I was spending lots of time with folks in the military who would give their lives for people they didn't even like. Whereas in business, we don't even like to give up credit for things, let alone our lives. <clears throat> and I, I sort of wanted to understand how they learned to trust each other. That's what that book is all about. Uh, it's about where trust comes from and what trust is. And, you know, I, I'm a crazy idealist. And, uh, you know, people who are much more successful than me and much more powerful than me, uh, run much bigger companies than me, you know, would constantly tell me my whole life that I was naive and unrealistic and, uh, you know, my idealism won't go anywhere. Um, and it was the discovery of Dr. Kars's work um, in the mid-1980s. Dr. James Kars wrote about finite and infinite games. And when I discovered that little book, I realized that I wasn't the one who didn't understand how the world works. It was them who didn't understand how the world works. And it was, it was the most powerful thing I'd, I'd, ever, I'd ever found. Um, uh, the challenge with Dr. Kars's work is, what do I do with that? Like, it's, a, it's an amazing idea, but there's nothing, like, I don't know how to implement it. And so as I practiced living an infinite-minded life and building an infinite-minded business myself, I, I ended up writing about it so others could, could do the same. Um, and I should tell you what, what that idea is. I mean, it's magical. Um, very simply, uh, finite games are defined as known players, fixed rules, and an agreed-upon objective. Uh, football, for example. Um, if there's a winner, necessarily, there have to be losers. And there's always, always, always a beginning, a middle, and an end. And then you have infinite games. Infinite games are defined as known and unknown players, which means you don't necessarily know who all the players are, and new players can join the game whenever they want. Um, the rules are changeable, which means every player can play however they want. And the objective is not to win, uh, because there's no finish line. The objective is to stay in the game, uh, to perpetuate the game. Um, we're players in infinite games every day of our lives, whether we know it or not. No one will ever be declared the winner of career. Right? No one ever gets declared the winner of education or, or learning. You can come in first for the finite amount of time you're at school where we agree upon the timeframes and the metrics, but nobody wins learning. And certainly there's no such thing as winning business. You know, um, uh, But there's a problem. If you listen to so many leaders uh, and business owners, it becomes very, very clear that they actually don't know the game they're playing in. They talk about being number one or being the best or beating their competition, based on what? Based upon what agreed upon metrics, objectives, and timeframes. And this is an issue because you, when we play with a finite mindset in an infinite game, and we play to win in a game that has no finish line, there are very predictable and consistent outcomes. The big ones are the decline of trust, the decline of cooperation, the decline of innovation. Business is an infinite game. 
any player can join your category. Any new company can start. They get to run their businesses however they want, and, and there is no finish line. And so to ignore how the infant games are played means you're probably going to shorten the lifespan of your company or uh, make it much more difficult uh, to stay in business. So what's the alternative? What do you mean? Well, if you have an infinite if you have an infinite mindset versus a finite mindset, you're saying that if people play business with a finite mindset, that they eventually won't win because they're playing a game that doesn't exist. Win what? In business. Win, win, win what? Like, is there a trophy? What's the finish line? Is the goal to be, uh, uh, you know, have a hundred million dollar valuation? At which point you you shut the doors and say we've achieved our goal, we're done, or just keep moving the goalposts? Like, win win what? That's the problem. You know, you can win something finite. You can win a new business pitch. There's a beginning, middle, and end. There's a winner and a loser, you know? Um, uh, but there's no such thing as winning business. Think of it like, think of it like um, the, the best analogy is, uh, is like trying to be healthy, right? Um, let's say I want to be healthy. And so I know what to do. There's many things I have to do. I have to eat right. I have to get enough sleep. I have to maintain personal relationships. Um, I have to exercise. There's probably a list of other things. Um, can't do all of those things perfectly, but it's a striving, just like business, right? You know, you have to do marketing and sales and there's leadership and there's culture and, you know, there's all those other things. There's product development and R&D and you can't do all of those things perfectly all the time. It's a striving. It's the same thing. And it's totally fine to have arbitrary uh, uh, goals. You, you know, usually when we do our annual planning, we want to hit a certain revenue target or profit target by the end of the year. That's an arbitrary number that we just pulled out of the air. And the date we pick is usually the year because that's when we pay taxes, right? But it's arbitrary. And we can do that as well in trying to be healthy. If I want to lose a certain amount of weight by a certain date, great, wonderful. And then I can do all the things to try and hit that goal. And that's important. People need metrics. People need measurements. We like to be able to count things and see our progress. It's very important to the human animal. And so I can stand on the scale every day and weigh myself. And some days I'm up and some days I'm down. And eventually I'll hit my goal, hopefully, by the arbitrary time. And I can celebrate because I hit it. But then what? I have to keep exercising for the rest of my life. Nothing's over. It hasn't ended. Um, but what I think is more interesting is what happens if you miss your goal? You know what happens if I don't lose that amount of weight by that arbitrary time frame? Nothing. Absolutely nothing happens. Uh, but I'm probably a lot healthier than I was when I started. I just picked the wrong date and I picked the wrong time. And I, if I continue on this track, I'll easily hit that number in another three or four months. And business is the same way. And when we calculate the end-all be-all based on these arbitrary numbers and arbitrary dates, we can sometimes accidentally incentivize behavior where people will do unethical things or stab each other in the back simply to hit a number uh, uh, so that they can get their bonus, which does damage to a culture and does damage to a team, where trend data is actually more important. And don't get me wrong. I think having targets is great. I think having and measuring things are great. But, but still, if you, if you hit your targets, you haven't won anything because you have to keep staying in business. That's the point. Mm, okay, I get it now. It's an interesting dichotomy, uh, this idea that it's never enough. Well, I mean, like I said, uh, having an infinite mindset means you're pursuing a vision of the world that does not yet exist, and you're de you're going to devote your effort and your energy and your business to try and advance towards that vision. That's what vision is, right? Um, where companies make mistakes is they make their visions about themselves. To be the best supplier of the highest quality, blah, 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 and reach $100 million by blah, blah, blah. That's, that's all about you. 
that's not contributing to anything. That doesn't make anybody feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. And that is finite, by the way. You could probably achieve those things, but then what? Again, like I said, if you hit those, if you hit those goals, do you close the business because you achieve what you want to achieve? No, you usually move the goalposts, um, which is not an infinite game. Um, that's just finite game after finite game. Um, you know, maintaining an infinite mindset is uh, it's 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 where highly ethical companies come from and highly ethical uh, leaders come from. You know, they play with infinite mindsets. It's where uh, organizations are able to significantly change the course of business or the world based on the things that they invent, which is they weren't trying to be billionaires. They were trying to invent something that they thought would significantly benefit the world. That's what drove them. Um, sometimes they, you know, forget their infinite mindset. That happens too. That happens plenty. Um, but yeah, no, uh, for, for, for any small business, you know, that comes to me and says, you know, let me tell you our vision. Our vision is to be a hundred million dollars by this date. I'm like, all right, we're done. You know, I, I can't help you with that. I mean, there are other people who are better equipped for that, but that's, that's not the thing that I'm interested. I mean, I'm interested in the kinds of businesses that, that have impact and, and, and make people feel like their work has a higher value than simply the money you're making. Mm. It's selfless versus selfish. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. I have to ask you though, um, you've worked with a lot of interesting people. How do people know when to give up or keep going? You know, it's it's such a good question. Um, and I think it's the one that plagues most entrepreneurs um, because there is such thing as waiting too long um, and there is such thing as quitting too soon. Um, I think if anybody actually knew this answer, they'd, you know, they, they, they'd do very well for themselves. I, I think that, uh, you know, I think when when you're driven by something and other people can imagine what you can imagine and see what you can see, I think that's a reason to keep going. If you're alone and everybody else thinks you're nuts and it's just you, just you, just you, it's. I think it's not going to work. Um, and it doesn't mean that your idea is flawed. Sometimes leaders are um, ill-equipped to communicate their vision in terms that would inspire people to want to join them. And at the end of the day, you know, when you're a startup. Um, you, you have to have the ability to have people do something that is, let's be honest, stupid, you know, quit your perfectly good job with, you know, stability to go do something with an overwhelming chance of failure, you know, uh, it, you know, with, a, with, a, with, you know, with no money in the bank, you know, living out of your mom's garage um, and you have, we all have sort of delusions of grandeur. Um, and if you can articulate something that's so compelling that, your friends are willing to quit their jobs to come support you to do that, you're onto something. Um, you know, I think simple promises of equity is tricking people, not inspiring people. Um, 
But if 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 you can inspire people to 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 do the irrational thing of come and help you build something, and uh, I think it's it's worth sticking with it. The more people that believe in you and your ideas, uh, the the more I think you should give it a try. Um, I'll give you I'll give you one silly example. I know this uh, woman who, uh, she, if you ask her what she does, she says she's an actor. Um, uh, I don't think she's had a role for twenty years. Uh, she's a bartender who um, who takes a lot of acting classes and goes on a lot of auditions. Um, and, you know, I love that she has a dream, um, but I think it's more accurate to say I am a bartender that ho dreams of being an actor. Um, because I think you actually have to do the thing that you're envisioning and you're imagining. And, you know, after that length of time, like it could be lack of talent, but it, also, it could also just be bad luck. Um, but I think there is a point at which letting go of our, our uh, and it's not letting go of our dreams, it's finding new ways to advance our dreams. Like maybe being in movies and television, there's another way that she can act. There's, a, there's other things that she can do to, to scratch that itch. Um, I think the mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is they think this is the only way to bring their dream to life. And the number of companies that pivot and change depending on changing culture, changing technology, uh, you know, changing politics, or even just finding better ways to bring our cause to life. Um, you know, I think that's important. Uh, um, the ability, the ability to be flexible, to bring your dream to life. It's not just one thing always. And if somebody's so connected with their why, they should never give up, right? With what they're doing. If it's their calling, they should never give up, right? Again, a, a why is a foundation of a house. It's, it's, it's the reason you got out of bed this morning. My why is to inspire people to do the things that inspire them. So together, each of us can change our world for the better. It doesn't tell me how to do it. It simply says, this is what I must do. This is my compulsion. This is my calling. And so I didn't have to follow this path. I never wanted to be a public speaker, nor did I ever want to be a writer. I wasn't one of those people who thought I had a book in them. You know, it's just those weren't, those weren't on my radar ever in my life. The reason it happened is because people kept inviting me to talk about my ideas and I just kept saying yes. And the reason it happened is because somebody said, you should write about it. And a publisher offered me a book deal. And I just said, yes. So I followed the opportunities to bring my cause to life, but I was not, I was very open-minded as to the path that I would take. Um, and I think that's really important. You know, I think a lot of people pick a path and are stubborn about staying on that path, which is like saying, you know, I want to drive West and I'm going to drive, uh, actually it's worse than that. It's, I want to go on a trip and I'm going to drive, you know, 200 kilometers a day. Um, and sometimes you're ahead of your goal and sometimes you're behind your goal. But if there's roadworks on the motorway, like, do you stay, do you sit there in the traffic jam? What do you do? But your goal is to just drive 200 kilometers a day. That's it. My goal was to start in the East and go as far West as I could. And I didn't care how I got there. And I didn't care how fast it was. And sometimes I took by roads because the, the fast road was blocked. So I took a slow road that went sideways. And everybody said, Simon, you have no focus. What they couldn't see is I had more focus than everybody else. It's just my aperture was much wider. Uh, so if you looked myopically, yes, it looked like I was going slightly sideways. But if you pulled out, you could see that I'm vectoring in, this, in the right direction. And that's how I've managed my career. As long as I'm fixated on the vision, on the destination, that the unrealizable destination, that's what vision is, right? It's an unrealizable destination. Um, um, uh, then, then you find yourself not only uh, more relaxed and it's a little more fun, the journey, but you find yourself much better able to filter 
opportunities that come your way. Like if somebody said, I have a jet, you should get on it. But the problem is it's flying in the wrong direction. Well, then I'll say, no, I'd rather just go on a bicycle. Um, so it's, it's, it's always directional, not just about speed and hitting numbers. You know, uh, growth is a dial. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget that. Um, not to wax philosophical, but the, the example is like a retail establishment that says we want to open 200 stores next year, except they're opening them so quickly that they don't have enough product to put on the shelves and they're not training people properly and they're not even hiring the right people to work in the shops. Well, I can guarantee you that those shops are going to fail. Um, but they're so obsessed with hitting that 200 store goal that they, they, they literally ignore the fact that they're breaking their business. It's better rather to slow it down and say, you know what, let's just open 20 stores and make them the best possible experience with filled with product that we can possibly do. And, and that'll produce the, the income that we can do 30 next year. And eventually we'll get that 200 number. And so we have to view growth as a dial, not an absolute. Again, that's an infinite mindset. Love to switch gears and talk about your career and your personal brand and the optimism company. Why optimism? <laughs> Why not? I mean, we live in a cynical world. And I think one thing we could all do with a little more of is a little more optimism. You know, optimism is not positivity. It's not blind positivity. Everything's great. Everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. Look, everything's wonderful. You got to see the brighter side of everything. Like, that's not what optimism is. Optimism is very realistic. Um, it can accept difficult times. But optimism is the undying belief that the future is bright. We can say, an optimist can say, um, this is the most difficult time I've ever been through. And I'm struggling personally. And our organization is struggling. But there's one thing I know for sure, which is there's a light at the end of this tunnel. And I know that if we work together and take care of each other, we will get through this even stronger than we went in. That's optimism. Optimism is very realistic. And I think to have a bright vision of the future, um, I think is, is pretty important these days. And the tools we need to get there, which is, as I said before, working together. Um, I joke that there's an entire section in the bookshop called self-help, and there's no section in the bookshop called help others. Um, and I very much would like to pioneer the, the help others industry. Um, I want to help teach people the human skills we need to advance our organizations, advance our, our careers. You know, I hate the term soft skills, hard skills and soft skills. That, those things are opposite. Hard skills are the skills we need to do our jobs and human skills are the skills we need to be better human beings. And those are the skills we need to be successful entrepreneurs. When does skepticism bother you? When does skepticism bother me? I mean, I'm a cynical bastard. So, you know, uh, it, I, again, you know, it, there's no blind positivity here. Um, but like, I don't fault a skeptic. I like having skeptics on my team. Um, as long as they believe in my vision, I like the stone throwers. Um, one of the things that I've learned from spending time with the uh, United States Air Force is they will give a presentation or share an idea. And the very first thing they ask is, Spears? Who's got Spears? They want you to throw Spears at their ideas. Where in business, it's kind of the opposite. Like, you know, we give a presentation and immediately want applause and tell people to tell us how great we are and how amazing ideas are. Um, so no, I, I think skeptics are very important. You know, people who clear their ranks of anybody who disagrees with them um, it's not going to go well because nobody's, again, nobody's that clear and nobody's that smart. As long as they believe in the cause and they're willing to roll up their sleeves to help, I love a skeptic. Awesome. And I'd love to talk about your ideas because um, a lot of them have gone viral. Uh, I, I never forget uh, Tom Bilyeu, that one, the famous one about millennials that went everywhere. 
I'd love to ask kind of what are your thoughts on Gen Z coming into the workforce now, especially with all the changes with, you know, COVID and remote working and, yeah, this whole new world? I mean, you know, I, I, I evaluate each generation with, uh, with objectivity and with empathy. Every generation, based on the experiences they had growing up, this is why we can make generalizations about entire generations because there, there are common experiences. Obviously, they're not universal, but there are common experiences that patterns do exist um, in, 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 uh, in worldview or even sometimes uh, behavior. Um, and uh, so I don't think of any generation as good or bad or right or wrong. They have opportunity and they have liability. Um, this youngest generation, uh, based on how they grew up, um, very, very good at personal branding. They understand it. Um, they're an activist generation. You know, the generation before them uh, love to tweet their discontent about something. But this youngest generation, you know, they're activists. They'll they'll boycott and they'll uh, rally, and they're they're much more. They much they show up a lot more for the things that they care about. Um, uh, the liabilities, um, they you know, like the generation before them. They seem to. They seem to lack some of the coping mechanisms to deal with stress uh, more than previous generations. That's why we see increased rates of uh, mental health issues, um, depression, anxiety, even suicide. Um, uh, again, it's not unique to this younger generation, but it, it, there is there are patterns that skew it. Um, um, also, confrontation avoidant, very afraid of asking for help, um, uh, very afraid for asking for something. Um, uh, you know, I've I've heard many stories in businesses of young people who would rather quit their jobs than ask for a raise, um, which is astonishing for a generation like mine, which is like, hey, can I have a raise? I've been working really hard, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's challenges. And I think we as leaders have an opportunity to help teach those human skills, as I said before. You know, di different generations have human skills uh, that the others should learn and different generations lack some human skills that the others should learn. And I, again, if we, if we lead with empathy, we learn what those human skills are. Um, we can, we can do a job to a better job to manage them and teach those skills. Yes. It's still sometimes very, very frustrating. I get that. Um, but, uh, I think that's our responsibility as, as leaders, uh, uh, which is to see those around us rise. How have your ideas changed around leadership through building your own business, the optimism company? I don't know if you've built other businesses before, but I'm curious. I mean, like everyone, um, the more I've learned, the more I've implemented, you know, um, I like to joke, I'm still the same idiot now as I was then, you know, I've, I've learned to ask for help. I've learned to surround myself by people who are a lot smarter than me, who can do things I can't do. I have no, no sort of ambition to, to be the smartest person in the room. I'd rather surround myself with much smarter people. And I think as time has progressed, you know, I've just become more confident to be very open about my shortcomings and where I need help. Um, and you can be confident in your shortcomings. Like, it's not like, yeah, I don't know how to do that. And I don't know what's going to happen. Like, that's where I can say, hey, yeah, that is not my bailiwick. Like, I'm freaking amazing at this. And I suck at that. And I need help with that. You know, I, I can still I can still communicate confidence, even though I'm talking about things I'm no good at. Out of all the successful leaders that you've worked with, what are the common shared attributes? You know, this is such a common question. Like what, are, you know, what are the five most important attributes to be a great leader? You know, charisma, vision, 
You know, I know some remarkable leaders who do not have big sort of Richard Branson, Elon Musk visions, you know? I know a lot of great leaders who aren't the most charismatic people you've ever met. Um, but there's one there's one attribute, there's one characteristic I'm very comfortable saying that all the great leaders I've had the opportunity to meet do have, and and that's courage. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to be a leader. Um, and it's really hard to... Um, uh, follow an ethical path, do things ethically rather than the expedient path. Um, it's very hard to speak truth to power. It's very hard to admit our own shortcomings and it's very hard to ask for help. Um, and even integrity, integrity requires courage. And so I think courage is the thing, um, which then begs the question, where does courage come from? Um, I do not believe that courage is a you know some internal fortitude, you know, dig down deep and find the courage. I don't think that's true. Um, I think courage is external. You know, um, a world famous trapeze artist would never try a brand new death defying act for the first time without a net. It's the net that gave them courage. And it's the same, and it's the same for us, um, which is none of us is strong enough, smart enough, uh, or good enough to do anything difficult by ourselves. Um, uh, it's if we have somebody by our side, somebody who believes in us, somebody who says, I got your back, no matter what happens, if everything goes south, I'll still be there to support you. And it's that relationship that gives us the most remarkable courage. And there's great evidence of this. I mean, the Navy SEALs, for example, are widely regarded as one of the highest performing organizations on the planet. And a former Navy SEAL was asked, what kind of person makes it into the SEALs? And they said, I can't tell you the kind of person that makes it into the SEALs, but I can tell you the kind of person that doesn't make it into the SEALs. He said, the star college athletes who've never been tested to the core of their being, none of those guys make it in. He said, the preening leaders who like to uh, delegate everything, none of those guys make it in. The guys with huge muscles and tattoos that want to show and prove how tough they are, none of those guys make it in. He says some of the guys who make it in are skinny and scrawny, and some of the guys who make it in, you'll see them shivering out of fear. He says, but all of the guys who make it in, when they're physically exhausted, when they're emotionally exhausted, some way, somehow, they're able to dig down deep inside themselves and find the courage, uh, find the energy to help the person next to them. In other words, it's, uh, it's service. Service is the thing. And uh, I think this is the hugest mistake we make as entrepreneurs, which is we think it's about us. And real in reality, it's about the people around us. Um, and fostering deep, meaningful relationships is probably the single most important thing you can do if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, whether it's a mentor or a friend or a business partner. Those relationships matter almost more than anything else because almost every other problem is solvable with the right team. But if you don't have that love, you're not going to solve the problems. Mm. You talk about building relationships uh, with your team. They say that you shouldn't become friends. Like as a leader, you shouldn't become friends with your with your team or blur the lines. What's your take there? It's um, in a large corporation. Um, it's probably more important. But you know, when when you're a small startup, I mean, you're all friends. I mean, you hired your friends. You know, you were friends first. Uh, only your friends are stupid enough to come join you in your crazy ambition, you know. So I, I think to 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 be so exact about it is is unrealistic. I mean, I definitely started my business with my friends. I've definitely hired my friends. It does change the relationships, you know. They're you know you know it, and and I think the ability to code switch to understand what's appropriate and what's inappropriate and when we're acting as friends and when we're acting as colleagues, I think is is just it takes practice, you know. Um, Sometimes it makes difficult decisions and difficult conversations harder because we don't want to hurt our friends' feelings. Um, but it, 
but in you know if it's a large organization you know blurring the lines too much can can definitely cause problems but i mean it's totally unrealistic for small organizations of, of course you're friends but you do have to know what the difference is everybody has to know what the difference is, is like when we're acting as friends and you know like people colleagues are friends all the time they go out for drinks after work all the time but then they come back to work and they work together like we we're, we're good at that people are good at that and if it gets a little bit out of whack then somebody has to sit down and have an uncomfortable conversation and say you know, we got to get the balance right. A couple last questions, then we have to wrap. Um, could talk to you all day. Uh, the current economic conditions, uh, many young founders uh, might be worried coming into a looming recession. Uh, what should they be optimistic about? Well, you know, that's like timing the market. Like there's no right time to start a business. Um, if you start a business in a booming economy, you know, money is easier to come by. It's easier to win win business and get clients or or get customers. But it also means you probably have a lot more competition. Um, in a in a hard economy, money is a little harder to come by. Clients are a little harder to come by. Investment might be a little harder to come by. But you probably have fewer competitors. So it's not a question of better or worse. It's just different challenges. Um, and if if there's a compulsion and an opportunity, um, then I I would never advise anybody to miss an opportunity because. You know, it may not be the right time. It's never the right time. And it's always the right time. Um, so I would follow the opportunity. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much, Simon. Uh, the last question I have for you is where's the best place people can find out more about your work and your latest book, The Infinite Game? Uh, I mean, the book is sold wherever, you know, fine bookstores and some not so fine bookstores, you know, so wherever, I guess, wherever you can find it, the interwebs will help you with that. Um if you go to simonsinek.com, we've got fantastic courses and resources and all kinds of fun stuff, um, both mine and some remarkable people that I've met along the way to help people learn those human skills. Um, that's what I care about more than anything is equipping people with the human skills to, to build the businesses that they want to build. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for your time, everything you do for the world. I know over the years, a lot of your videos have really helped me develop as a leader and really think about all sorts of different things, especially when it comes to life. So thank you. Thanks so much for those, uh, those kind words. I really appreciate it. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.